Hello everyone and welcome back to Video Games Are the Worst Thing on Earth. This is part two of our episode book club of uh, Bob Chipman's Super Mario Brothers 3 Brick by Brick. With me is Reese. Hi. Kay. Uh. And Conky. We'll just pick up right where we left off on page 31, where we learned that Bob Chipman, the, the epic story of- into a pickle. The epic story of Bob Chipman defeating his childhood psychologist. Annihilating him. <laughs> uh, so my next note is on page uh, 33. This is where he starts to get into more of like the pop culture that he got into. So he's talking about the shitty movie, The Wizard, which was like basically a feature length commercial. Uh, yeah for a bunch of Nintendo accessories. And specifically, he says that Nintendo and the producers had a secret weapon. The first gameplay footage of Super Mario Bros. 3 would be revealed to Western audiences through this movie. And they made sure everyone knew about it. So on December 15th, 1989, me and hundreds of thousands of other kids across America lined up for The Wizard. I'll admit that I was among those who fooled themselves into thinking it was a great movie for years afterwards. But on that day, all we really wanted to see was Super Mario Bros. 3 in front of our eyeballs. Just let us see it. Please, just let us see it. So that's what he's talking about. But mm -hmm. then later on he says, But the climactic reveal of Super Mario Bros. 3 is burned, no, seared, into my memory. The way JFK's assassination was for my parents' generation, <laughs> or the way 9-11 would be for mine a scant 12 years from then. My yes. god, Ellipses. Yes. Was it really only 12 years? So he's saying <laughs> that the Super Mario Brothers 3 scene in The Wizard, the shitty movie from the late 80s, is seared into his brain the way the JFK assassination was for his parents and 9-11. <laughs> I mean, if Bob is implying that the CIA made the wizard, then I agree. <laughs> Big I just love it because, like, you know, he wasn't there for the JFK assassination, but <laughs> he was there for 9-11. He, like, he's... He's saying this from experience. These I, I are just, equal events to him. I, I just can't get my head around why is he comparing it to like two horrific things, two like tragedies, basically. He he can't think of something like positive. He could have said <laughs> no. the moon landing no. or like only Mario related things. Can have, be you, have you seen the wizard Alton? Because in the wizard, <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people uh, are killed on camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was unsimulated. They actually killed those people. It was kind of like the chariot chase scene. And uh... <laughs> I have to confess, I have not watched The Wizard. Wow, um, uncultured. First of all, I, I know, right? I'm like, I'm missing out like on a a generational defining epoch, like 9/11. Yeah. Wizard. Oh my god. Is, is, I mean, is I did the see. Wizard? Listen. I did see the 9-11, so I guess I've kind of seen the ending of The Wizard. <laughs> see, this is not fair. Yes, 9-11 is a better movie than The Wizard. But the Wizard is a better movie than anything that came out on Netflix last year. I think we're being a little mean to The Wizard here. 
there's a theme here that would go on uh for 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 bob's whole career to be a big theme in his life not just in this book i think um which is coping your way into thinking that something bad is good because you wanted it to be good like he, he admits readily in this that it wasn't a good movie but he's like but i i yeah. insisted it was you know after yeah, time years. And this will yeah. happen again in this yeah, book he, he even really wanted the wizard to be good he wanted the super mario brothers movie to be good and he really wanted 9-11 to be good <laughs> i'm sorry they were all bad <laughs> Oh, exactly <laughs> even among children they immediately forgot the wizard and just played the video game yeah yeah but like he the thing that he really wants to stress in this what he really misses from this era is that like all the other stupid children like him were just as excited for this bad movie as he was and like he was everyone was caught up in like mario mania like at the time and then we'll get into this later, but like uh, Conky brought up the Super Mario Brothers movie, and uh, mm -hmm. I, I really oh. hope that this is like what stuck with me after reading this. But the thing that he's like so disappointed in is that it does not have that same emotional zeitgeist of like obsession with what is clearly a horrible movie. I, I, I don't I don't understand the Mario Brothers movie point. Yeah, yeah, because the Mario we're, Brothers we're gonna movie get into good. That. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully, we'll, we'll we will get into that. Um, I have another note on page thirty-five. Do you guys have anything? I've got. Yeah, I got. I got a thirty-five. Oh, I mean, let me get this one. Um. Yeah, yeah, do it. Okay, a boy goes to war. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so what? this is clearly him going to Desert Storm. Um, <laughs> it's in the nineties. Uh, marketing. <laughs> especially youth marketing in the 90s, was all about dividing and conquering, establishing an identity for your product, encouraging a less attractive identity for a rival product, and getting consumers to flock to you to claim that good identity for themselves. We got a taste of this in the 80s with the, quote, cola wars, and Nike essentially started a race war among my sports fans' friends what? by selling the magic shoe and the bird shoe concurrently at the height of the Celtics-Lakers rivalry. I think you just live in the greater Boston metro area on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's just people from Southie, Bob. That's how they are. <laughs> but he fucking compared, like, a shoe advertising campaign to a race war. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, yeah, that, that tracks with his comparisons up to this point. <laughs> this is like another thing where like that I I don't want to get too psychoanalytic, but like this is a thing where like Bob has learned absolutely nothing. Like he's correctly identifying that like this is how marketing works, like, you know, divide and conquering, establish an identity for your product. Correct. But now literally all Bob does online all day is like play cheerleader for different brands and products like you know yeah, exactly. marvel the good ones like uh captain marvel the good cool one with the kick-ass girl uh bad dc comics with Zack snyder with the toxic masculinity and evil not good like like all he does is perpetuate that same shit all day but for superhero movies and it, it doesn't seem to, like, click with him that, like, he's perpetuating this in any way. That this, like, consumerist, like... I like, think he knows, I don't know. but he doesn't care. So, like, literally the next sentence. But it was the great console war of the 90s that first drew me into that kind of corporate-manipulated madness. As the new decade dawned, Nintendo had released the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, 
I got mine for making it out of fifth grade without a single grade below C. Ah, the triumph wow. of lowered expectations. <laughs> the king of brainland, people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I have to make a point of that every time he brings it up, because as we've mentioned before, Bob has a sort of weird intelligence-focused eugenics thing going on on Twitter. Yeah. Um, Maybe we're being unfair. Maybe Brainland is just anybody who can do fifth grade without hitting a D. Like, it's very, very accepting. (laughs) (laughs) As long as they like Black Panther. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a... All right. So uh, what did you want to say about this, Kay? Because otherwise I'll continue to the next point. Two things. One small thing is right before the subheader, uh, A Boy Goes to War, we have uh, actually our second instance of this is the beginning of the end. The first one is, uh, I think, in uh, chapter one, when he talks about Sonic being invented. So this is the beginning of the end of Mario's hegemony in the world. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, just (laughs) in general. (laughs) So this is the second beginning of the end. And uh, the, the nature of that end uh, comes a little later in the section, I think. Yeah. Um, be- because what we learn in this, and this is sort of end of page 35, start of page 36, right. is that uh, my man peaked in like fifth grade. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, can I read the whole thing? <laughs> yeah, I think you know the section. Go for it. Yeah, exactly. I've got it highlighted. Yeah, do it. It was the 90s. Video games had, quote, arrived as the coolest ticket in popular culture. The arcades were in the midst of a brand new boom driven largely by a new generation of more violent games aimed at teenagers. Mario and Nintendo were the acknowledged kings of video games, and Bob Chipman, formerly Bob the Dork who's way too into his dorky video games, was now Bob the guy who knows everything about the world's hottest new pastime. Quote, why, yes, ma'am, I can tell you the best place to build up your EXP in Final Fantasy. What's that, sir? You can't quite make it through TMT2? Let me show you a code that might help. Pathetic fantasies, even for a 10-year-old. That's really how I figured things were going. Hell, maybe that's how they were going just for a moment. But that moment, my moment, didn't last. <laughs> I really love 10-year-olds enjoying toys. Pathetic. (laughs) (laughs) It's fucking, his fucking, no, his fantasy was like that someone would ask him about this. That someone would be like, it would be like, God, God. what is the best place to build up my EXP in Final Fantasy? How can, how can I? I know that! I know that! Oh my God, yes! Yes, I will be your husband. Oh my I know God. That. Uh... I'm, oh, I had that recurring dream where I'm at the UN and like the, the, <laughs> the, diplomat, the diplomat from the USSR says, uh, you can't beat Super Mario Brothers 2 in less than 10 minutes and then I do it and I stop nuclear war. Uh, but like, it's so fucking dramatic. Like, it's so apocalyptic. It's like, that's really how I figured things were going. Hell. Maybe that's how they work, just for a moment. But that moment, my moment, didn't last. It's just like this guy's <laughs> fucking talking about, like, like fucking Vietnam or something. It's just like... No, I wrote in my notes, Bob has PTSD from the console war. <laughs> yeah, oh. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but he will later refer to the console wars as his own private Vietnam. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> I that is, about that. That's on page 41. I've got it in my notes. That is very relevant. 
He's so grizzled by this whole event. It's fucking awesome. Oh. Oh Bob my is God. Soldier 76, but for Mario. Okay, page page 37. But it didn't matter. Sega wasn't selling games. They were selling a label, a shoebox-sized hunk of plastic and microchips that said you were on the cool team. Nintendo, playing the long odds, did themselves no short-term favors by maintaining a strict, family-friendly, quote-unquote, image, just as violent games were becoming the rage in arcades. When it came to port Mortal Kombat to home consoles, they handed Sega another mother-of-all-PR victories. When Nintendo opted for a bloodless, censored version, while the Genesis offered an authentic translation, just like that, my life was... <laughs> Just like that, my life was the ending of a downer Twilight Zone episode. Video what? games were uh. in, and I was still out for a brand new reason. Oh my god. Like, no Wikipedia page entry has things like this. Like, he fucking <laughs> compares his life to a Twilight Zone episode because violent games got popular. Oh my god, he's so fucking victimized by everything that has ever happened to him. It's incredible. <laughs> uh, my next note is on page 40. Did you have something to say, Kay? I, hold on, I, th I have something on 38 um, where he's talking about the Mario movie. Is, is he still talking about it on 40? I think he goes he on is. for a while about he, it. He pontificates about the Mario movie <laughs> and how it's going to be the most important movie of all time for okay, quite yeah, a while. My... <laughs> My note starts on page 38. It just says, remember to talk about how unhinged he is about the Mario movie. So let's just get into it. <laughs> this is the time. Uh, I have the exact same note. It says, uh, the Mario Brothers movie really fucked Bob up. <laughs> <laughs> it really it did. did. It really, really did. So, so Bob loved the wizard. He did. And loved the uh, Mario TV shows, but hated the movie. He was like 12 no, years old. He loved the movie. He loved the movie and he twisted his brain into knots to try and convince everyone he knew that it was actually a really good movie because exactly. he couldn't accept the fact that it was dog shit. Uh, do you want to read part of it, Kay, on page 38? Um, I, I don't have like a specific quote until page 40. I just wanted to tie mm. it into what was just being said. Um, I hope I'm not stepping on your feet here too much, Alton. Just um, No, I only uh, have a quote on page 40 as well. Okay. Um, well, just on page 40, in, in relation to him, like, basically just huffing copium and being like, no, the Mario movie's good, honest. Is it the second uh, to last paragraph? Yes. Uh, no. Really? Oh. Hold on. I'm, I'm gonna, um, let me read it here a bit. Um, it's a horrible, horrible movie. Stage-bound, badly acted, nonsensical, and cheap-looking, even for 1993. Years later, it'd come out that the production was so badly managed that the actors threw out their scripts and everything just started getting worked out as they went. Hoskins and Leguizamo would go on to publicly trash the film, which bombed at the box office, and it felt like Matha's career never fully recovered. As of the writing, she most recently featured in the box office stud Atlas Shrugged Part 2. <laughs> Naturally, wow. I convinced myself it was good. Not only good, but great. I reviewed it positively in much greater detail and to much more positivity than it deserved for the school paper. I zeroed in on the good stuff. They eventually wore the right colors. Live action Yoshi, that dinosaur humanoid evolution business was kind of interesting, wasn't it? There was a ba-bomb. The ending promised a sequel, but I didn't wait around. I made my own animated via D-paint on my old Amiga imagining of how the plots of SMB2 and SMB3 might be adapted into the movie's universe. 
I needed it to be good because I needed Mario to be as big and as meaningful a movie franchise as he'd been in gaming. Getting a, quote, the movie was forever, and it meant that the character and story mattered beyond being some brief fad. Mario was not a pet rock, damn it. He was my friend. <laughs> and the thing that was getting me through the misery of pre-adolescence, I needed him to matter so that the time and energy I'd invested into him mattered. But the film so was a big flop. <laughs> <laughs> a bad movie that died a quick box office death and herod heralded a run of awful video game based movies double dragon street fighter etc of which the so-so mortal Kombat was the only thing close to successful financially anyway oh my God. the movies and movie audiences had spoken video games even mario weren't ready for the big leagues and eventually even i had to admit it it was a harbinger <laughs> harbinger Things were changing, ellipses, and not in a good way. Oh man, would you say it's the beginning of the end? I think it's the beginning of the end. That that is so fucking funny. It's <laughs> Mario awesome. is my friend. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> there's there's two things um, I wanted uh, that got in that in that bit that got read out there. Um, first of all, again, he takes the the misery of childhood as like a given. He talks about the misery of pre-adolescence, like. Mm -hmm. That's not Bob. Again, seek help. Don't try to subvert your fucking therapist this time. Yeah. Um, but also, uh, a huge, a huge revelation is made on this page, which is that he began his career as a film reviewer at his school paper by defending just indefensible corporate garbage and insisting that it's actually good. Which I just think you can draw some conclusions about his overall career trajectory and behavior based on that. Uh, I think that rules. That's all. Even children who love everything, right, uh, hated the Super Mario Bros. <laughs> like as he says, as he says in the, in the book, and my was my experience at the time. It was just we, we everybody was pretty hyped for it, and they were just like, "Oh, that sucks." On to the next thing, I guess. We're children. Who cares? Right. <laughs> well, yeah. it's like it, he, one of the things specifically is that he he was obsessed with it. He wanted it to be a repeat of his experience with uh, the wizard. He wanted to be surrounded by like even more like diehard uh, Mario fans and wanted to be this cultural moment that he remembers from, I guess, like what, four years earlier? Yeah. Honestly, it's to his credit, in a way, the way he just openly admits he needed that ex pop culture experience to justify the time that he invested it. He can't just say, oh, this is something I like, it has become my identity. And rarely do you see people just spell it out in those terms that they're saying. They, they try to, you know, couch it in, oh, I think Marvel is better because of the inclusion and the special effects or whatever. Um, he's just saying, he's, I love this shit because I need to love it. Others need to love it. Otherwise, <laughs> where am I? He really lets the mask slip here. I don't, I feel like he doesn't, sorry, I just, I feel like he doesn't think that's a bad thing. That's where I get concerned. That's all. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He never, yeah, he never really, I don't think he ever really evolved past this. This is the age of, um, like adolescent obsession with these things. In fact, it seems like. He, he didn't recognize that what he had with this brand is essentially an unhealthy relationship. And instead, he spends an enormous amount of time <laughs> trying to recapture 
these moments of his his childhood as an adult, yeah. which is very unhealthy. And just yeah. just to get more, I found the bit where he talks about the wizard. So I want to read this part on page thirty nine. All right. All right. I was like, no, I tell myself. It'll work. It'll be good. They have to change some things to make them work with real actors. This is THE Mario movie. And THE Mario movie will be great because it deserves to be. Why would oh they make God. it if they didn't understand <laughs> that? I read everything I could about it, which in those days meant magazine articles that recycled the same handful of publicity stills and self-serving quotes from the filmmakers. I convinced myself, in spite of the natural inclination towards skepticism that infused every other aspect of my life, that this was going to work. That in spite of all the revisions, was it really that different from the Koopalings having been different <laughs> names in the SMB3 cartoon? This version of Mario would simply be epic and awesome. Ellipses. Just in a different way. It had to be. It just had to be. <laughs> That's what I told myself. This is a fucking shooter's I, manifesto. I know. It's a fucking it's a fucking scene from like Oh my oh god. god, what is that movie called? Uh, the Shining. Where it just <laughs> it has to be good. You like roll up you roll up the typewriter, like Shelley Duvall's looking at the typewriter and it's just this book and your like eyes go wide. Yeah, it's like Super Mario Brothers the movie is a good film. Super Mario Brothers the movie is a good film. Alright, let me continue. It just had to be. That's what I told myself as a friend and I headed in to watch it opening weekend, ellipses. Somehow managing not to register that neither the celebratory atmosphere that had surrounded the wizard nor the large crowds for the same were decidedly not present. How could I notice anyone or anything else in the world that day? I was going to see THE Mario movie. I was going to see Super Mario Bros. the movie. Hey, what movie were you going to see, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> oh my but like, god. That's his attitude going into it. He had been obsessively working himself up in like an insane amount of hype before this movie mm. even released. And he was like... And like exa exactly what I said, he compares it to the wizard and how it was like, how that had this celebratory atmosphere and these huge crowds. And this is like one of the few times where Bob Chipman felt as one with pop culture, that the world was in tune and he was like singing the same song as everyone else. And now... <laughs> This is his evidence of how <laughs> how he's he's living in a bad Twilight Zone episode where he he wakes up one day and he's like, "What? The Super Mario Brothers movie isn't good." <laughs> I hesitate to reveal uh, that I've read this, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it. Um, this book, I think, would be a good like double feature, whatever you want to call it. To uh, Elliot Rogers' manifesto uh, before he killed all those women. <laughs> because I, I have read it, and most of it is him complaining about World of Warcraft uh, and how, <laughs> and you know, Pokemon. And then in the last 20 pages, he's just like, oh, yeah, by the way, I hate my sister, I hate women. Uh, Ch Chad's always rip on me. I'm gonna do my shit. Um, but I, I feel like maybe that's what's missing from Movie Bob's book. Is that <laughs> oh we've yet God. to get to the crime he'll eventually commit. 
<laughs> Does it, doesn't it feel like it's missing a segment where he goes, and this is why our culture has become degenerate, and here's what I'm going to do about it. Like, Yeah, I mean, those are his tweets. The, that's the... Yeah, that's his tweets component. are the epilogue. To the yeah, I mean, he doesn't have the capacity to, com to, to perform actions, so we're never going to have... Oh, uh, yes. I'm sorry to interrupt, but... Uh... Here is uh, page 41. Things fall apart. Every single one of these is like fucking apocalyptic <laughs> like headings for these different sections. It's like... The day my life ended. <laughs> 40, page, 40 pages in. Talking about the book more than it took longer than it took him to write it. In my memories, the great console force dragged on like my own private Vietnam. And it didn't yeah. help that I was still Fuck constantly you. in trouble at school and in and out Fuck of therapy you. for anger, attention, and authority Fuck issues. <laughs> He's got authority issues because he only recognizes the, the leadership of the Mushroom Kingdom. Wait, so who in, wait, who in the Mario Kingdom is uh, Ho Chi Minh? Uh, Sony PlayStation, apparently. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's just like... In 1994, the Sony PlayStation came out. Unlike other countless third Challenger consoles before, it stuck around. The war was now more of a scattershot fracas? Uh, and since this was the booming Clinton economy, it was less unusual to see more than one brand of console to a household, particularly since Generation NES was speeding towards young adulthood with pockets full of their own disposable income. Uh, so then he's like, the identity conflict of Mario versus Sonic's gave way to a maturity conflict. Sony, the first successful challenger from outside the gaming-only business, built the PlayStation. Later on, he's just like, still having your SNES plugged in? You might as well still be sleeping with a teddy bear. Oh, beta. That's so it's right. just like, every single, like, iteration post NES and SNES for him, it's just like this... This humiliation at the hands of pop culture writ large, because gaming as an identity moved on from Mario and into, well, into the, the sort of more toxic areas of being, like, obsessed with uh, maturity as an art form, which in, you know, the 90s and PS1 era was basically just having guns and boobs. Yeah. yeah. Also, I feel like there's a bit of sort of defensiveness coming through uh, as well it's like no i'm not i'm not a, a an underdeveloped baby man for still liking mario at my age <laughs> i don't have any notes till 44 so push ahead i mean he at the end of 41 he basically just says like what makes it especially rough is that uh how true that symbolism actually was to be a geek about anything user requires a level of investment that originated in childhood meaning that geek culture is largely a culture of people holding on to vestigial pieces of their own childhoods, which is yeah. I mean, it's basically like the thesis statement of this book, right? It's just like Bob Chipman as like a as a person has is just like constructed psychologically of vestigial pieces of his childhood he's been clinging on to for like forty years. Yeah, Bob, tell it uh, to your therapist. I'm begging you. Yeah, you I mean, he outsmarted him. <laughs> you gotta find a therapist who you can't outwit immediately, Bob, with your, your big brain. Hold on, I have a note from 43 real quick, which is, okay. um... So he has, like, a, like, mini, like, episode, because, uh, in Yoshi's Island, Baby Mario and Baby Luigi are revealed to be 
from the Mushroom Kingdom and not from Brooklyn, New York, and not actually Italian plumbers, and he can't wrap his head around the fact that, like, um, Nintendo doesn't actually give a shit about Mario lore the way he does. Um, but he says, like, I didn't have a breakdown or anything. It's not as though I was knocked into some kind of system shock over this, but the dissonance stuck with me for a while. By now, I had more important things to worry about in school, in life, to be completely consumed by college prep classes, girls, sex, drugs, and social hierarchy were giving me a headache. And i just like to say, Bob, no, none of those things were giving you a headache. You did not have to worry about girls, <laughs> sex, or drugs. Let's go ahead and get to page 44. There's a moment vitally important in the development of any geek, nerd, or whatever else you want to call it, when it finally sinks in all the way that the people creating whatever character or property you've let colonize a part of your imagination <laughs> just aren't as devoted to it as you are. That, to them, it's a job. For me, this was it. How much sense did it make to be trying to work out the bigger relationships between the characters and the broader scope of their world? What was the point of keeping meticulous mental, and yes, also physical, lists and chronologies <laughs> of Mario's friends, enemies, worlds, abilities, all that? What did it matter if I could point out on a moment's notice that... Nokobons, exploding shell troopers, uh, were only found in Sarasaland and only in one <laughs> game. Yeah. Why should I put so much of myself into this when Mario's masters couldn't even keep his origins straight? The inside of Bob's room looks exactly like Charlie Day's like room and like it's always sunny with just like little bits of Mario and like string like wrapped around it and like going everywhere. Pepe Sylvia. <laughs> oh my yes. god. I, I'm 100% with Bob Chipman on this one. Decolonize the brainland. Get those fucking Koopa Troopas out of the brainland. <sighs> Land back, but only for Mushroom Kingdom. <laughs> We're decolonizing the brainland, which, which is what I have decided to call the landscape of Bob Chipman's mind. And that I, I think he should honestly sue Nintendo for damages. <laughs> the permanent psychological harm from being obsessed with their, their shitty fucking games. Bob Chipman put on a Virtual Boy one time and then Lawnmower Man happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's basically like, thankfully, out after that, it's that he basically says how he, he, he sort of like shook off the obsession, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. And that finally realizing that the people making the games did not give a a literal shit about the greater lore yeah because listen and 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 this uh speaks to the problem with this uh premise for a book it's it's just mario like there mm. isn't like a i i attack him for not like doing what i would consider like a serious analysis of the text for you know all this talk about how deep his analysis is going to be but there's not much to analyze in Super Mario Brothers 3, it's not, it is not a rich text with a lot to chew on as a critic, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you would need like, a, like a, an understanding of the history of platformers and like the industry at the time. And you can probably like talk about like what it led to. But like Mario 3 is, is really fun to play. I don't think about Mario 3 afterwards. There are so many other Nintendo games however worse they are like their jakiness or like weird presentation there's more to talk about and there's something that I i'm sure 
there was already everything that was already needed to be said about Mario 3 was already printed before Bob wrote this. Yeah, it's not a thinker, you He's, know? He basically says that in the introduction. He's like, it's, it's such a popular thing. It's been so widely covered. Um, but obviously, I, I think that there was no better man for the job than Bob Chipman. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, you know, like, I, I hate to play devil's advocate with, with Bob here, but it's clear he just kind of, like, shit this out and then didn't really do much with it. I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he did conky at the time. He was all about promoting this book. But this um, was just, this is just say, like a, a live journal entry. He needed to just basically have a hard, a hard copy. While of. you chumps were reading the digital copy, I was reading my signed physical copy that I got <laughs> from him in person <laughs> oh in a comic book store in Somerville Holy in uh, Davis Square. So <laughs> you have a signed copy? Is that real? <laughs> yes, this is real. Yes. Oh my god! I'm not joking. I really have it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, see that, that that that's the other side of it. If, if he's signing copies of a live journal entry, uh, we yeah. get to roast it. Like, I was if, not if, the only person there too to get a copy, oh so God. other people have read this, presumably. I mean, yeah, of course, uh, of course, other people have if, read this. If oh I, uh, if Alton, if you came across my like twenty-five-year-old live journal entry mm -hmm. uh, where I like am openly weeping about Final Fantasy, <laughs> I expect you to just be like, "Ooh, man, this is embarrassing for Reese. I'm gonna just close this and never mention it again." Um, <laughs> which is, and that's I think the proper way these things should be dealt with. But Bob, you just had to do it. I'm gonna be asking you to sign it, bud. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, this is a terrible book about Mario, but it is a incredible book about Bob Chipman. Oh. Absolutely, <laughs> oh, this is a, this. If you are like us and you have the the horrible brain worm that makes you obsess about Bob Chipman's terrible tweets, you will love the, the part two of this book because listen, yeah. there are some fucking gems in here, and like, uh, <laughs> just let's get, go ahead and get back into it, and let, unless you had something to say, Conky. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, on the physical copy, they obviously put, like, zero effort into printing it because it's printed on, like, the cheapest newsprint imaginable. Mm -hmm. And there is no bleed in the book at all. So, like, the text starts at the edge of the paper. Like, there's no margins at all. Oh, my God. It's just... Uh, that it's, sounds it's awful. awful. It is awful. This is so. This is printed by FanGamer for some reason. Right. Um, back in 2013, when FanGamer was like a relatively new company, and I went on FanGamer's website before we started recording just to see if they still sell it, and they don't. No. <laughs> yeah. Can't imagine why. So this book is, uh, I, I guess, an out of print lost gem that you can only get if you subscribe to Scribd or if you're a complete freak like me who still has a real version for some reason. I I have to ask Conky, why did you get it in the first place? So this is my horrible secret is I used to like Bob's videos. I liked his movie reviews on the escapist way back in the day. Like mm -hmm. I thought they were like pretty okay. Um, I also hadn't been exposed to a lot of like genuinely good media criticism yet. You know, this is like when people were like right. watching like the nostalgia critic where like the height of, um, you know, review comment like comedy was like, uh, I'm a guy who like hates your favorite movie from when you were a kid and I'm going to shoot it with a gun. That's the video. <laughs> dark times. Yeah, dark times of media criticism, especially because that's the era that I know Bob from as well. And I, I thought Bob was a 
embarrassing but unremarkable figure at the time with yeah. videos that weren't like absolutely insane criticism you know it's like i could see his video on the ghostbusters and be like okay that's a ghostbusters video not like yeah. some of this other shit yeah it, the thing is like the game like his like movie videos were like okay and like um the big picture on the escapist was like it, it was fine uh, the game overthinker was pretty bad but it wasn't any worse than like 90% of what you found on like Channel Awesome because 90% right. of Channel Awesome also sucked. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't going as ham eugenicism either. It was there, but it wasn't like mm -hmm. the, the Trump fueled tweets. Yeah. I mean, I think he Trump, just didn't have Twitter. Trump basically broke, broke this guy's brain. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. true. He did get a lot worse. Uh, Most libs did exactly. uh, at that point. Are you guys ready to return to the text? The Let's return to text. the text. Yes. Okay, so page 45. Um, this is just part of the drinking game, so let me just read through this. Super Mario 64 was, of course, a thing of beauty. No challenger to SMB3 in my heart, of course, but a worthy successor. If Mario's side-scrolling had peaked for me with the Tanuki suit, then SM64 would be fine as the first lunge into a new era. It was the first time in forever that a game was so aesthetically comfortable. I was desperate to not finish it, just making Mario run and jump around the elaborately constructed game world, exploring every cave and scaling every tower just to see what might be found. In my youth, I wanted nothing more than to spend hours simply inhabiting Mario's world, and now I could, and if such a massive undertaking as this, the game world was unprecedentedly huge for the time was merely the first step, one could only imagine what might come next. Let the others have their undoubtedly short-term fads of raiding tombs and crashing bandicoots. Mario was back, and this was, we were sure, the future ellipses. But, in reality, it was the beginning of the end. Oh, God. <laughs> for, for somebody who claims to love Mario, his writing about Mario is so fucking bland. This is the most insipid shit I've ever heard. I'm I'm squeezing my skull right now. I just, I don't know what else to do with my hands and body. I just want to crush my brain. Yeah, again, again, he says nothing of substance about Mario in this entire fucking book. It's all, all the interesting bits are about him. Exactly. And um, his psychology. This, this is the second time he says specifically it was the beginning of the end for Mario. And the first time was, of course, when he said it about the fucking Sega Genesis. Which... This I, is the third time. Third time? The, the, yeah, the first time was the existence of Sonic in right. Chapter 1. And then the second time was the console wars. And then mm. this is the third time. Oh my god. It, it just like... this. There's no editing in this book. And like, I know I said I wouldn't harp on that, but the fact that he uses the beginning of the end twice. Let me fucking, like, search this. Oh my fucking god. Life in wartime, page 18. Oh my fucking god. Um, oh, this yeah, was the three. beginning of the end for Mr. Miyamoto's plucky plumber as the unquestioned king of all video game heroes. Oh my fucking god! And then on thirty-five, it says actually it was beginning of the end. <laughs> oh fuck! God. Yeah, recording this is the beginning of the end. <laughs> this is the beginning yeah. of the end of Reese's uh, okay, sanity. So, 
So the the first one was because of Sonic coming into existence, and then the second one was because he wasn't going to be the special boy who knew about video games for very long, I believe. Oh my god. It doesn't yeah. matter. It happens three times, and it's like, yeah. how many fucking beginnings does one end need? Three, I guess. That's, that's, that's a pretty profound question beyond the scope of this podcast. <laughs> Damn true. <laughs> okay, so... I'm super fucking hyped. My next note is on page 49, and this yes. is an incredible fucking... I never fucking knew... This is the best fucking story. Bob is fired for truth. Oh my god. Alright, so... Okay, <laughs> so who wants to read this? Do you want me to read this, or Conky, do you want to read? Yeah, yeah, let's fucking go. Alright. Uh, I got it. Meanwhile, my second blockbuster job led me to what seemed at the time like a stroke of great fortune. An older gentleman, who will remain nameless, came in asking if he could leave some flyers. Turns out, he was starting up a film criticism show for local cable access television and was looking for on-air talent. Store policy said that I had to tell him no, but it said nothing about me volunteering for the position myself. And after a set of meetings and conversations, I was hired to do the show along with this person and a female co-host. The resulting show was what you'd expect from local cable, but it was exposure and a chance to work on my craft such that it was. I was the colorful member of the team, the younger guy with the wild opinions and the deeper film knowledge. It was a fun time while it lasted. I've never gotten much of a sense that anything was especially off about the guy running the show <laughs> i knew he was fairly conservative politically ex-military and an ex-cop but it had never come up in any kind of negative way but upon the release of mel gibson's the passion of the christ and the controversy surrounding it something seemed to change in him i was fairly certain both co-hosts knew that i'd seen the film and hadn't cared for it and expected it would make a good show when we sat down to review it instead I got a phone call, and an unnervingly scary life experience. My employer, though for the record I wasn't technically being paid for my services on the show, summoned me into a, quote, meeting in his van <laughs> in an empty parking lot early in the morning. He did freelance security work, or he said he did at least, and it was on the job. This set off more red flags than I could count, but I showed up to meet him. He presented me with a printout of a scathing blog review I'd posted after seeing the film the first time and wanted to know what I had against Jesus Christ. Quote, Unwisely, unquote. yeah, quote, unquote, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Unwisely, I offered that my objection was to the anti-Semitism in the film and was told that, quote, those people had Schindler's List. Now this is our turn, unquote. <laughs> I was then told that he would be using the passion discussion as an as an occasion to promote the film's quote positive message and that if I wasn't go along by saying I liked the movie my time on the show would be over and that was that I never heard from the guy again but I know his show didn't last long without me I'm told he'd behaved in a manner uh parentheses because it's hearsay I won't get into specifics that disturbed the production staff during the taping of the passion episode and that my name had come up which had me walking around a little bit more paranoid for a few weeks but nothing ever came of it That is Fuck my it's me. so fucking funny like <laughs> this motherfucker dedicated four pages to nothing Oh but like <laughs> Like the fact that his one of his ex employers was a fucking 
insane conservative chud who fired him for not liking the passion of the Christ. <laughs> Holy shit. This guy has the most Catholic PTSD of all mankind. Yeah, th oh this is God. the big moment where I really feel for Bob, though, because that guy sounds fucking terrifying. He's like, come yeah, meet me in like, my van. This story is incredible. If the whole book was like this, I would like give it a five star rating. Oh, like, hell yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I unwisely I offered my objection to the anti-Semitism in the film and was told those people had Schindler's list. Now this is our turn. <laughs> those people. Oh my god. Incredible. Oh. Bob, you can come on the show. I'm not a regular host. I don't have the authority to offer you this, but I'm saying come on the show and tell us this story in person. We'll have Holy you. Shit. Come on, let's do it. Man, I'd be tempted. I feel like that's the inevitable trajectory of this podcast, right? Eventually, Bob Chipman is going to somehow end up on the show as a permanent, as a permanent co-host, and we just—he's going to be the fourth co-host. Oh. No, no, this is not going to be happening. I, I will do battle with Bob. Chipman. <laughs> I, I going to fucking execute. I, I have a sword. <laughs> I have access to a sword somewhere. Oh my god. Those people had the game over thinker. Now we have video god Watto. <laughs> nah, this is our turn. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, okay, so I have like one more note and then I have a fucking huge rant. Okay, let's let's right. do it. Alright, so on page fifty one, there's nothing particularly interesting. There's only one interesting thing here, and that uh I have this marked in my notes as Bob describes a Game Boy like the one ring. <laughs> All right, so let me go ahead and read through this on page 51. And it was during one such jaunt of casual browsing that something extraordinary caught my eye. Boxes labeled NES Classic with vintage-style cover art advertising that they contained direct ports of NES-era games for the Game Boy Advance. The presence made me smile, but then I'd gotten used to the idea of the Golden Age ports on new systems. What I saw next to them, though would have induced an honest-to-God spit-take if I had been drinking anything at the time. A Game Boy Advance, Advance SP if you want to be technical about it, painted an art design to resemble an NES. I had to have it. Impulsive, yes, but I was unable to resist the opportunity to carry the good old days in my pocket. Now, I needed game. He's such a fucking <sighs> consumer. Like, oh, uh, it looks like is. the thing I like, I gotta buy it. Our our consumer, our our boy. What I managed oh. to miss during my break, quote unquote, was that while Mario and the rest of the Nintendo menagerie had slipped from the top shelf of the console scene, their power and influence had grown a thousandfold in the realm of handhelds. I gorged myself on such games, discovering to my delight that the persistence. <laughs> Tech limits of small handhelds meant that this particular gaming landscape was awash in polished continuations of my beloved 8 and 16-bit eras. He's, he's like a fucking Mongolian conqueror drinking, like, wine from the skull of his enemies. <laughs> and there were Mario games. Lots of Mario games. Re-releases of the classics. The two land titles I still had from before, and even Mario and Luigi's Superstar Saga, Game Boy Advance, and soon enough, a DS, was my constant companion, 
particularly useful for passing time sitting in the car after work, waiting for the rest of the house to go to sleep before heading home. Ellipses. What? Wait. Why would you what? admit to that in a printed work? I promise that last part isn't actually as sad as it sounds. You see, oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I, take, I take your word for it. Around this time, I had picked up another hobby, making silly videos on the internet. And basically, he was saying that the only time he could record those videos was when his family was asleep. So he would just sit in the car after work, playing his DS until everyone in his house was asleep, and then fucking recording his videos at like... That makes it more sad. 2 a.m. Yeah. in the morning. Yeah, if it, it would be way less sad if he was just like, I love the night, and didn't explain it any further. <laughs> that would have been awesome. <laughs> and then he goes on to say stuff, something like, I was pre getting pretty good at cutting together silly mock trailers, but I had far greater amusement watching the more polished shows other guys are putting out. James Ralph, another aspiring movie maker, was transforming into an internet-age celebrity as the angry video game nerd. Almost overnight, establishing excitable Gen Xer rants about obscure stuff from his, her childhood as the most popular web video genre going. A few years later, a British-born Australian gamer named Yahtzee Croshaw became overnight the first superstar video game critic when his hilarious, insightful, and mercilessly objective animated review show, Zero Punctuation, was picked up by an online game magazine called The Escapist. Hmm... I'd like to say I saw my future then, ellipses, struck by visions of a new path forward by a beam of sunlight down from the heaven. <laughs> but the truth is, I didn't have the slightest inkling that I might have stumbled into a useful career outlet for both my thus far useless multimedia film studies degrees and my gradually reawakening video game fixation. Amazing. I just want to say... Um, this guy's use of ellipses is driving me fucking crazy. I know, right? Uh, there's another one, like, at the end of the paragraph. Yeah, <laughs> and then something started to stir. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. So, how old is Bob at this point? Because he's living with his parents still, and he's, but he's got, he's finished university, is my uh, understanding. Hang on, let me open my calculator after oh real quick. Uh, okay, so he's 29. He's 29. My wow. God. My parents would not have let me stick around that long <laughs> yeah. i guess good, good, good for him i guess you can have it's it's easier probably to have a, a fake job like uh making uh, video reviews online <laughs> if you live at home <laughs> what was i doing at 29 uh, i think i lived with my partner and i think i worked at a greeting card company what was i doing at 29 uh nothing i'm i'm 28 <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck don't make me feel old <laughs> Wait, Alton, are you are you only twenty eight? Yes. How are you fucking married? Sorry, I don't. Your life is is, is a big uh, enigma to me. <laughs> it is very mysterious. Maybe I should write a a book. Yes, you should yes. perhaps about uh, your relationship with uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. And That's then right. You can I was like, I never no, fucking I played any Sonic the Hedgehog games. The end. No, it would be the Morrowind. Exactly. I don't know. Jump by jump. <laughs> cliff racer by cliff racer. <laughs> My life in the Vardenfell kingdom. At least you could talk a little more about Morrowind. It benefits from having, like, dialogue. Mm -hmm. a, stor a story that a story. somebody actually gave a shit about and, like, consistent a little more. lore. 
not yeah. like not like a story dictated by fucking translators who didn't give a, a rat's ass about the continuity of the series, much less like the creators. Yeah. Uh -huh. All right. So this is my rant. On page 54, I was inspired to finally say something about this shit. Because, like, at this point, I've just gotten fucking sick of Bob's writing. So here, here we off, go. King. Bob Chipman is a capable writer, but not a good one. Writing involves more than just being able to put words to paper. It involves curation of the ideas presented as well. What I mean by this is that Bob Chipman excitedly spends an entire chapter telling us about the fucking we having successful sales like we give a shit and only a couple paragraphs on the local cable access show run by a crazy religious psycho. I mean, which one of those would you rather read about? He cannot tell which things to actually focus on to make it an interesting book. Between that and saying shockingly oblivious things like comparing a movie release to 9-11, I think I finally figured out what's wrong with Bob. He's got like a t he's got terrible third-person perspective. He cannot like conceive of any of his thoughts or actions from somebody else's perspective. Personally, um, I view Bob as a very mediocre writer because to me, the most engaging element of writing is editing. Right. And that is yeah. something that Bob has been unwilling to do. And the only reason his uh, videos come off better is because he is, a he is willing to go through that process somewhat just by a video needing some editing. Right. It's dreadful, but it is very instructive to see somebody even have like very interesting revelations about this stuff, but have no interest in applying it to their lives. And that's what's mm. so interesting to me about this stuff. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I would agree with Reese that this this book was never edited at all. Like, I think that the closest thing to editing that Bob did was maybe running like a spell check on it once before he mm -hmm. shot it off to the publisher, but he never reread it. As soon as the words hit the page, he forgot about them and moved the fuck on. And this is the first draft that we're reading. There was no second oh, yeah. draft. There was no like copying and pasting and moving sentences around. Like the words came out of his brain and onto the page, like a stream of consciousness. And then it immediately ink on paper, ship it. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, an editor would have caught a lot of, a lot of just like the weird writing, a lot of the repeating himself, and just yeah. I mean, but, an editor might have told him just don't publish this at all, but you know, it, they could have helped a bit. Well, like yeah, a psychiatrist, yeah, sure. an editor would have been defeated with facts and logic. So. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've been reading books I, about editing. I know you're. Yeah, <laughs> I've I've been studying editing flaws so I can argue against them. Yeah, well, you studied editing. I studied the blade. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, fuck. And, and so, like, it, it really just fucking got to me how this guy spent, like, an entire chapter talking about how successful each fucking Nintendo console was, which is just such a waste of time. Like, who cares that, like, the Wii was a successful console. Who cares that it like came out of left field to become like the biggest release? It's like it's not relevant to the story you're trying to tell. 
you know what that is? That's fucking like that's fucking Reddit shit. That's like what like nerds on the internet do when they try to prove that their console is the best. Like, oh well, did you know that the Sony PlayStation outsold the X, the original Xbox, and I've got the sales numbers to prove it. It's that same shit. But like, yeah. what really gets to me is that like he spends longer talking about this shit that nobody cares about when like on page forty nine he has like the most like the most interesting story I think I've ever heard Bob Chipman tell. Like. <laughs> That's that's fucking fascinating. Like working at like a public access television show run by like a right wing psycho. Like surely you could wring more out of that than just like four paragraphs. Yeah, I want to hear more. Yeah, it's the only thing in this book I want to fucking hear more of. Right? Exactly. <laughs> <sighs> How long are we recording? Part two. Part two has been going on for an hour and five minutes. Jesus Christ. I, I okay. fucking know. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give my little spiel uh, about Bob. All right. And uh, then I'm going to start uh, drinking more beer and perhaps doing other drugs uh, because my brain can't handle it <laughs> yeah, anymore. We'll, we'll take a break and do part three and that'll be it. We have to finish this in part three or else we will go insane. All right. There's enough for a part three. At least funny shit. Okay. Five-hour movie Bob struggle session. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Um, my 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 rough spiel about Bob is that what's interesting to him about me is that he is open enough in a way that it makes his lib tendencies interesting because you can kind of see the origin in this, you know, giving himself over to the culture and to this very shallow culture where it's it's, it's all about that immediate moment of loving mario and that's that's just his life forever and even realizations about the potential badness just like don't have any impact just bounce right off even if he's aware and i feel like that is such an interesting mirror to his like virulent elizabeth warren worship his uh, you know just worship of that kind of like blue check lib shit mm. that he does where it's just like Bob believes in nothing except for the basic, you know, narcissistic, I'm, I believe I'm smarter than you, despite the lack of evidence that that might be the case. So I, I also am more ethically strong than my critics. And I think that that is, you know, you can't maybe extrapolate that to everybody who supported Elizabeth Warren. But I think you can, it, it's, it's, it's interesting to me to just like see where people who have that kind of like political uh, instinct come from, because it's clearly like what, what everybody who's like that believes. It's like they're not making any kind of real thoughts or decisions. It's just like all like programmed in from before and their life has not been challenged enough in, or examined enough in any way to like push past to like anything real politically i don't know that that's that's been my thing with bob so you're saying that he has got like he's established in much the same way that he's had part of his brain colonized by <laughs> by super mario that he's sort of had his part of his identity sort of preformed for him by like yeah the political mainstream and like the narrative that like the media puts out about like these different candidates Exactly. And it's like, I don't mean to make it only about uh, electoralism, but I think that is the most, you know, relevant to Bob part of it is that, yeah. you know, it gives him a mommy like Elizabeth Warren, where he can, you know, just give right. himself over. And then, you know, that now that's his identity. 
now he gets to justify it by arguing about it online with people. And yeah. I think I love that giving that is, myself over to yeah. Molly. <laughs> to Bob Chipman, the 2020 like primary was just another console war, basically. No, I, it really was for him. Like in a way, like he's incapable of like breaking out of this cycle of convincing himself that like these terrible things are actually good. Like, no, the Mario Brothers movie has to be good. Elizabeth Warren is like the most qualified woman since Hillary Clinton to run for president. She yeah. has to win. Like everyone has to see it, right? Of course yeah, I mean, they do. Why won. wouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's all fandom shit for him. And it's him like, you know, tying his identity to a fandom, whether it be political or whether it be consumerist. Mm-hmm. Which is why I just think in general it's like good. It's good for me to to see someone like Bob and be like, oh, I just don't have to acknowledge or talk to the, any of those people at all. Because we see through Bob's book that it's just like we will never reach any of these people. Maybe some people are more reachable than Bob, but it's like you know, th- there's this kind of narcissism at play that you'll you'll never be able to reach through the screen and deal with. Yeah, well, you'll one, never one, be able to reach Bob because it's his job not to be reached now. He's got the yeah. blue check next to his name. His I, I, livelihood yeah. is tied to this and this ideology. And, and Bob is probably the most uh, discussed person on Kiwi Farms. Like, Bob is, <laughs> is roasted on a level that we cannot even fathom by all parts of the internet, you know? There, there's nothing that we can do to stand out, even though he will name search us and yell at us. Yeah. yeah. Roasting movie Bob is the true horseshoe theory. I think we should mention <laughs> that, like, fucking, as we were, like, reading this book, all I said was that I was... <laughs> I, I, like, just mentioned... Oh, let's see if I can find this fucking tweet. Oh, I forgot that he yelled at you! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah! Oh, my God, how did... We, yeah, we have to talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's let's start part three with the um, with the yelling yeah. at Alton. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we all yell at Alton. Exactly. Are, are we going to talk about um, chapter two anymore in part three, or should we wrap it up now? Uh, I think we we still have things to go through. So unfortunately, yeah, there's a bit. We didn't finish chapter two. There's going to be a part three. Holy shit, you guys! This is a Herculean task. <laughs> All right. I think we'll go through the second half of the book quite quickly, so it's exactly yeah, like yeah. to do it. A- yeah. After section three, there's just little individual funny moments I picked out. I hope you guys enjoy. Okay. Yeah. All right. So everyone will see you in part three. Bye bye. You better thank us for this, yeah, you better. little fuckers. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> this is self harm. <laughs> <laughs> Like Super Mario Land.
Check this out. 